Okay, good afternoon. Charles, Charles Moskowitz here. Thanks for joining me, everyone. And um, let's see, um, my guest is the author of Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept, that being General Robert Spaulding. Uh, General Spaulding is uh, retired from the U.S. Air Force as a Brigadier General after more than 25 years of service. He is a former China strategist for the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Joint Staff at the Pentagon, as well as a senior defense official and defense attache to China. He earned his doctorate in economics and, and mathematics from the University of Missouri. He is fluent in Mandarin. General Spalding, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Thank you, great to be here. Um, you have a good handle on what's going on with China, and I wanna just do a little talk about some of the background on the emergence of the uh, coronavirus in China. Uh, conventional wisdom says that it has to do with these so-called wet markets and, and that practice. What do you know about that? And, and what, what, how did this whole thing get started? Well, the reports I've uh, read um, that discuss whether or not, you know, it might've been made in a lab or might not have been made in a lab actually um, have a lot of conjecture the truth of the matter is we don't know where the virus came from, whether it came from a wet market or whether it came from uh, deliberate manipulation by a researcher. The only way that we could find that out is by allowing CDC researchers to go to China, to go to Wuhan, the epicenter of the virus outbreak, go to the lab, interview the researchers, look at the work, and then also look at the area around and really try to ascertain through um, forensics the origin of the virus. And there's no chance that the Chinese Communist Party is going to allow that. So I don't think we're actually going to know how the virus came to be. And quite frankly, it's at, it's irrelevant now at this time because we have to uh, we have to contain it and we have to get this country back going. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was it was quite striking that the, the Chinese refused to let the CDC go in with a team of experts and doctors to investigate as early as January when they started to request that. And that to me was quite telling. Um, and then of course, now the virus has spread all over the world and you have, you know, we're literally changing the way, the way we're conducting our lives at this point. Everybody's shut in and everybody's terrified for good reason. And they should be because it is a serious disease, but nevertheless, you know, this is like a, an assault on, on the world, really, from China. Now, um, wh where are we now today with regard to the, the virus and how it's spread around the world? Well, I think so. We've uh, gotten a good handle on what we need to do, which is r really social distance and, and slow um, social interaction so that we can slow the spread of the disease in order to allow the medical uh, personnel to deal with this. We don't want to. We don't want to swamp our medical facilities. That being said, this country is is vastly different than a lot of the countries that have been hard hit, and that we have a a very rural population uh, interspersed with dense urban populations. So the dense urban populations really need to approach this a little bit differently because of the way the cities are situated and because people live so close together. Um, the rest of the country doesn't need to take such drastic precautions. So I'm more concerned now about the economic devastation that's going to occur if we don't get this country back to work. There's a lot of fear going on, and that fear is you're seeing it uh, play out in the market, and you're going to see it play out in job losses. And, and my concern is that we get Americans back to work, 
certainly places like New York and other dense metropolitan areas that are that are that face a, a crisis of an outbreak, they need to do work it, uh, differently. But the rest of the country can get back to work. Now, President Trump has talked about several possible drugs to that have shown promise with regard to um, not necessarily curing, but maintaining a coronavirus, one of them being hydrocortiquine, which uh, apparently there's an Israeli uh, drug company called Teva, which is going to be donating 10 million doses of this drug to the United States within the next week and a half to two weeks. And uh, do you know anything about that? Is that proven to be in any way effective to, to uh, cure, the, cure the disease? Yeah, it was part of a uh, study um, uh, conducted by a French physician, and it's seen um, great uh, efficacy in eliminating the virus in the in the in the bodies of the people that it, were, it was administered to, uh, with uh, uh, in combination with azithromycin, which is an antibiotic. And so, um, this is also being used currently in New York City as a standard of care for. For patients, I think one of the challenges we have with our medical system, we are in essence right now on a wartime footing, and so that means that we need to rush uh, these kinds of things to um, patients if we they're shown to be effective. And so, rather than waiting on a double-blind, randomized test to verify whether or not this works, I think the the French went ahead and actually um, it used it, and without a random test, saw the efficacy and then are administering it accordingly. And I think we need to do the same. We can't run the FDA and the CDC uh, on the same uh, way that we run it uh, while a global pandemic is actually uh, being run. So, you know, my, my opinion would be, let's, let's get this to the patients that need it and uh, it's shown efficacy and, um, and see where we go from there. I mean, it's a, it's a known drug. It's been around since the 1940s, dealing with various illnesses, including rheumatoid arthritis. So it's not like it's never been tried before. Uh, can President Trump use the um, recently enacted emergency powers uh, to make this happen and maybe to sort of cut the red tape at the, um, you know, at this at these various health agencies to get this thing on the market? He can. The, the Emergency Powers Act gives him, the War Powers Act gives him a, a wide latitude to use the power to the federal government to uh, provide, provide for the American population. And, and I think this is clearly one of those times, particularly when you combine it with the information warfare being conducted by the Chinese Communist Party to deflect attention, both from the fact that, you know, if they would have caught this or stopped this three weeks early, we save. 95% of the global infections that are occurring right now. So by covering up and hiding it uh, and then trying to convince the world and their own population that it was actually released by the United States, you can understand mm -hmm. that there's a number of um, things that have been documented in, a, doc in a, a report put out by two People's Liberation Army, Army colonels in 1999 called Unrestricted Warfare. They talk about combining, uh, you know, bio warfare with information warfare and trade war. Um, so discounting the fact that we don't know for sure that they released this as a bio warfare agent, but they're conducting information warfare and trade war because they're actually blocking the export of masks and other medical um, articles that are needed for uh, our medical professionals here in the United States. 
So this is a this is a big challenge, mm. and we see now the true colors of the Chinese Communist Party coming through. So then, China is now blocking the import of American pharma of, of pharmaceuticals and medical supplies to the United States that they that they have and that they've produced. Yes, there's anecdotal evidence that they're actually blocking the, the export of uh, many things, uh, particularly masks and other um, suits that, that are used by medical pro professionals. I don't know about pharmaceuticals yet, but you know they've, are, they've basically hinted that that could be possible. That's, you know, that's outrageous. And I mean, I mean, we could talk about solutions in the future, like helping American domestic industry create our, create our own um, you know, medical modalities, but right now we're dealing with a crisis. Now, back in the 1980s, the Chernobyl disaster in Russia um, and the lies that were told by the communist regime there was greatly contributed to the collapse of the Soviet Union. Is there any possibility, do you think, that this disaster in China and the amount of toll that is taken on the Chinese people and the lies being told by the government trying to blame the United States, which is exactly what the old Soviet Union did with Chernobyl. Do you think that might lead to a destabilization of the communist regime there? I think the communist regime is currently facing many stressors. Unfortunately, in totalitarian uh, countries, you never can predict when, um, when the tide might turn. Cuba has been the way it's been for several decades, mm -hmm. North Korea. Uh, you see Iran, you know, since 1979. So there's a lot of regimes around the world that tend to persist even in the face of economic calamity because the regime just protects itself even even harder. And of course, the, the Chinese Communist Party has adopted many of the technologies of the West to uh, create a surveillance state that's unparalleled in human history. So this is a they're they're a formidable opponent. I think what's going to come out of this is something that you alluded to, which is we're going to reorient supply chains back to the United States and other democracies. Democracies are going to work together to trade and be connected fully, and we're going to be less connected and less uh, have less influence from the Chinese Communist Party and other totalitarian regimes in our midst and in the midst of other democracies. So I think uh, in, in, with every cloud, there's a civil li silver lining. The silver lining here is really being able to step away from the Chinese Communist Party. And when we do, they don't have, they won't have the innovation, technology, talent, and the capital of the West to continue their oppression of the Chinese people. W will that lead to eventual democratization by putting pressure on the Chinese Communist Party? I believe it will, but predicting when that is, is, um, is just, uh, it's a fool's errand. And so we need to focus on us protecting our own citizens, protecting our own country, rebuilding our industrial base and infrastructure, and then working with like-minded democracies to do the same and stop allowing the Chinese Communist Party to you know, go through them to transship products into our, uh, into our country tariff-free, which is what they've been uh, prone to do. So that's why each of these negotiations on bilateral trade uh, and economics and finance and information is so important. And finally, we need to protect Americans' data because right now the internet is a huge source of influence that China and Russia and other nations are use, using to basically diminish uh, our social support for democratic principles and free trade. So this is an mm -hmm. important um, aspect of the competition that quite frankly, we have been very slow to adopt. I mean, I've been hearing about China involving itself in, as you say, technology control through social media into the degree that 
the average Chinese now gets apparently a score of some sort, a social score. And if they criticize the government or if they do something that's not politically correct, they can be restricted in terms of what they can do. And in worse, I mean, as in the case of the Uyghurs, I mean, they can end up being put in massive concentration camps. Um, this is something that, I mean, I'm thinking again of Reagan's defeat of the Soviet Union. One of the things he did was he started to contrast their system with ours and with the West. And he began to, you know, he funded the Voice of America and he began to show the Russian people the uh, the truth of, about their own situation. And that helped wake them up. Do you think that we can counterattack in that way this Chinese propaganda and this massive technological control that they're developing? Yeah, and in, in fact, we dismantled a lot of those um, pieces of our arsenal uh, after the end of the Cold War. We got rid of the U.S. Information Agency, for example, that was responsible for independent public diplomacy supporting, you know, democratic principles like, uh, you know, the, the U.S. Constitution and, and providing those uh, insights for the populations of the of the former Soviet Union. So people like leaders like Locke Walesa came when they came to the United States, they visited the Voice of America to thank them for the amount of hope that they provided the population while they were um, essentially under totalitarian rule. So this is absolutely correct. Uh, this is what the United mm. States needs to do. Reagan vastly increased the amount of money, billions, he poured billions into public diplomacy and really uh, spreading the message of uh, what America is to the people of the former Soviet Union. We need to do the same thing with the people of China, the people of Russia, the people of Iran, the people of North Korea. We should not stop you know, promoting the, the universal values that we believe in. This is how we basically win back this information warfare that we've essentially been absent in for the last 30 years. Right. And also, I mean, our I mean, I think it was uh, Cong Congress uh, Senator um, uh, from Florida who recently called and the governor who called who arranged for a law to call back the Peace Corps from China, which to me, it seems like somewhat of a mistake since that's a good American ambassador organization in China. What do you think of that? Well, I think we need to find uh, effective ways to reach out to the people. What the Chinese Communist Party does is, is control the inter those interactions in ways that benefit uh, their message. And so we need to find ways that uh, get through the Chinese Communist Party controls and actually allow our message to go through. Now, there's ways to do that. One way is, uh, is uh, you know, shortwave broadcasting. So there's still a lot of right. AM radios being used in China. We got out of that business again after the end of the Cold War. We need to go back to, to spend more money in that. There's ways to get through the firewall to send the message. We need to spend more money on that. There's plenty of technologies that have been adopted to do that. We haven't really, we've spent more money on bombs and bullets than we have on information. And really in this, in this type of campaign, particularly in a globalized world where you have a, you know, a global internet, but they've created a giant firewall around theirs, we need to think about how we get our message into their country because they have built that firewall to protect their population from democratic principles, but at the same time, they use it as a bastion to pummel our own societies with socialist and communist principles. So it's something that we have to really wake up to and, and start to fight uh, back in the information domain in, a ways, in ways that you, you, you bring up the Reagan administration 
they really put a lot of money and effort into doing this. And, I, and I've spoken to a lot of these folks that were in the Reagan administration working on that. And uh, we've dismantled it all. And we've been very hesitant to bring it back, even though we can see now how powerful the Russian and Chinese propaganda um, apparatus is. Okay, my guest is General Robert Spaulding from the Hudson Institute. Uh, General Spaulding, I think that it's safe to say that whether it was deliberate or not, the um, coronavirus can be viewed as a weapon against not just the United States, but the entire, all the Western democracies. And um, I wonder, first of all, we could look back in history and criticize both this president and this Congress for not properly preparing for this. I wonder if President Trump did the right thing by disbanding the pandemic task force. Um, I guess that was done by John Bolton, national security advisor. Um, probably a mistake, but you know, rather than maybe you know pick the past, what can our government and our Congress do now, both to kind of get through this as quickly as possible and prepare in the future for any such event again so that it doesn't happen again? Yeah, I think you make a good point. You know, we always get into this, you know, who done it uh, when we have a calamity. The the bottom line is both parties have been, you know, essentially asleep at the wheel. The, we've known that this is a potential for for a big disaster, including an economic disaster for a long time, but we've really paid it uh, little attention unless it rears its ugly head. Hopefully now this will lead to reforms. But I mean, I think what we need to do is recognize that in a globalized internet connected world, it actually is important to have borders where the borders are controlled, where you can actually uh, secure your population from whether it be, you know, uh, unfair trade or counterfeit products or uh, whether it be a pandemic virus. And so it, it's really reinforcing how important it is to you know, go back to first principles. What were we founded under? Free trade, democratic principles, rule of law, civil liberties, human rights. You know, these are the things that um, America stands for. And we've gotten out of those, uh, out of promoting those and actually protecting those principles because the world's changed. You know, we, we, we built this great $800 billion military, but it's really focused on kind of a 20th century worldview, which is around geography when oil mm -hmm. was a strategic resource. The strategic resource of the modern uh, um, economy is mm -hmm. data, and data drives artificial intelligence and machine learning. And this data flows across borders very easily. And so, you know, we, as we've moved from an industrial economy to an information economy, America has dominated that global information economy. China's attempting now to take that by building out 5G, by dominating the data of the world. And Kai-Fu Lee, their leading artificial intelligence researcher, says that China aims to be the Saudi Arabia of data for the world. Mm. This is a challenge when this is a totalitarian regime that uses this for economic dominance and influence. And so it's something that we need to be more aware of. We need to protect Americans' data. It should be as important as it is protecting the skies over their head. And this is something we've been very slow to adopt, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. We've all been culpable. Well, I mean, it seems like, econo like data, economic or otherwise, could be viewed as part of you know, the sovereignty of a, of a nation and, um, you know, to protect the propriety of that is, is a technology that needs to be developed. I also think that perhaps this crisis has awakened people to the importance and the democratic principles 
that are behind national sovereignty. I mean, it took Europe, the European Union, only until a few days ago to finally wake up and realize that they had to secure their border. This is after hundreds of people are dead in, in Italy. So, you know, I mean, the world is a little slow to, to recognize the importance of this. I think that Trump did recognize it early on, so it should be given credit for that. But nevertheless, it's a lesson that can be learned. Um, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, uh, you know, um, uh, Winston Churchill came through on a trip to the United States in the very beginning of the Cold War and, and gave the Iron Curtain speech actually in the middle of America. It was He gave it in St. Louis. So, I mean, right. th there is precedence for us awakening to a, to a growing threat in our midst. At that time, the challenge was nuclear weapons. Today, it's really about data and artificial intelligence and the connectivity that we're, that we're um, increasingly being surrounded and, and, and engulfed by. All right. General Spaulding, you are the author of Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept, available at Amazon.com. Uh, would you like my listeners and viewers to have any additional information about you and websites, anything you'd like to, uh, to give out? Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at Robert underscore Spaulding. I'm on Instagram and YouTube, General Spaulding. And then I also have a website called armchaireconomist.io and uh, soon to be stealth-war.com. So um, looking forward to uh, continuing to interact with your audience and, and uh, uh, you know, talking about the Chinese Communist Party. Thank you, General Spaulding. It's been a pleasure and an honor to talk to you today. I hope to uh, follow up at some point in a couple of weeks and see if there's any new developments. And um, stay safe to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you.